Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Manchester is Red podcast for the Manchester Evening News. I'm your host Rich Fay. On this week's podcast we look back at United's weekend draw of Everton and look ahead to the return of David Moyes in the FA Cup as United host West Ham on Tuesday night. And it's the return of Tyro Marshall and Samuel Luckhurst today. They both had the pleasure of being at Old Trafford at the weekend for that draw with Everton. Ty, Samuel, how are you feeling this Monday morning when we record the pod? Tired. Tired. I, I, I did stay up a little bit for the Super Bowl. I liked the, the halftime performance from the weekend, but it was pretty clear going into the second half that, uh, that, that Tampa Bay were, were going to win. And I, I didn't, I thought this this is this is a bit ridiculous if I'm literally just standing up to hear what Joel Glazer has to say when it's going to have no relevance whatsoever. So I left that to Simon Stone. I, I woke up this morning and there was, <laughs> of course... The BBC's busiest man, Simon Stone, there he was with the tweet uh, and, and the quote, what Joel Glazer came out with. And of course, your yeah, piece as well, Rich, your piece, which was very informative on it this morning. Yeah, vaguely. I mean, like, like I said before we came on there, I felt like text my own partridge trying to talk about American football because <laughs> I think like most people in the UK, most, uh, maybe, it's difficult to say, I think we all maybe have a stage where we kind of sort of dabble with it. I played some of the Madden games, pretended to support a team for a bit, but I just don't care. I do not get it, and it's too many adverts, too slow. And yeah, just a, it just isn't for me. But I guess while we're on football, uh, is there anything United fans should should take from it? The fact that the Buccaneers, the team that the Glazers own, uh, won. I I don't think so. It, as as you said to while we were off air, like you like the animated references. I think in the Simpsons they say the the road to the Super Bowl is is long and pointless, and I think it'd be long and pointless if I was to regale <laughs> with what Joel Glazer said. I think the only interesting quote that he came out with was that he said something like, as my father said, if you need to get to a road you need someone who's who's been there and of course this is the other institution he owns decided to appoint David Moyes uh well nearly eight years ago now when I'm sure some are probably thinking well Solskjaer's more relevant because United didn't win at the weekend and I'm sure there's a bit of animosity towards Solskjaer but we'll we'll probably on to, get on to that shortly yeah, I did see, last on the Super Bowl, I did see one United fan this morning tweet that because the Buccaneers won the Super Bowl with Tom Brady, United are going to buy Ronaldo on a, on a free or something. I'm not sure it works like that. Yeah. Um, but uh, you got to admire the dream, you know. But yeah, I mean, Solskjaer said as well last week in his press conference, he made sort of a loose analogy saying how Cavani was a similar sort of sign, but I haven't experienced these pragmatic signings. And it'll be interesting to see what United do this summer. We'll come on to the transfer plans later in the podcast as well. But it is a weekend draw of everything we want to talk about. And Ty, you summed it up very succinctly at the weekend, you said the first half was maybe as good as it gets under Solskjaer, the second half was as bad as it gets under Solskjaer. What was your summary of the game and three-all draw against Everton? Do you think it just sort of summarised where United are at at the moment? Um, I think the first half probably summarised their improvement. I thought I thought they were excellent for 45 minutes. There was maybe a five, ten-minute spell in the first half where Everton looked a threat. Beyond that, it, it was all United. And from about the 20th minute onwards, I mean, Everton could barely get out of their own half. It was total domination from United, playing really well, creating chances, scored two very good goals, could have had more. And it, it did feel at half-time... You know, when you, when we cover these games, you always try and get an idea in your head of you know what you want to write when the result looks like it's it's going your way. And we're not all fortunate enough to be at games that finish nine nil. So sometimes you know you need a bit of uh, a bit of planning and uh, and forward thinking. At half time, you know, at half time, the intro of, of my piece was thinking around the lines of this is. You know, it felt like a textbook Solskjaer performance, exactly what he wanted from his team. The pressing first half was brilliant. Normally, United sort of pressing bits and pieces, really. They've got two good pressers in Fred and Fernandez, but then normally with Martial leading the line, he's just not not a presser at all. He's, he's far too lackadaisical for that. Rashford isn't great either. But with Greenwood and Cavani, it worked really well on Saturday. 
they pressed and kept Everton in and it was just a really good performance. But then it's just, you know, to, to, to play that well and not win that game, you can you can understand Solskjaer must be pulling his hair out. I think he said on, on Friday, bringing up 100 Premier League games, he was older, wiser and greyer. And I think he's probably a bit greyer still because it's just, it's criminal to play that well and, and not win that game. And they let Everton back into it with, you know, an individual mistake from De Gea. As soon as that happens, they're in panic mode. They defended the next attack terribly and it was 2-2. And then it's the same for the, the I mean, the, the, at 94 minutes and I think it was six, seven seconds with four minutes added on, De Gea had the ball and was clearing it upfield. To concede from that position just yeah. defies belief, absolutely defies belief. And it was a rash tackle from Twan Zibi. Maguire, Maguire should be organising that defensive line. Instead, he's two yards behind everyone else. Then when the flick on comes, De Gea's first thought is to go back on his line when he needs to come forward. And it, it was just a mess. And, and they lacked anyone. They lack any kind of calm head. It's interesting you mentioned the Cavani signing. You wonder if there's an argument for a similar type of signing at the back. Someone they can bring so on in these situations. Uh, maybe a Ramos, but Don't maybe someone it. as well who's... <laughs> do it. Maybe someone... <laughs> someone who's not going to start every week. But it Marcus is... Rojo, can we get him back? 30... <laughs> 33, 34 has been there and done it at the top level and is a calm head and can come on and just see games out. Because United brought Twanzebe on, who's started a handful of Premier League games in his career. It is probably a bit hot-headed after the disaster he had last week, when really they need someone who can come on and just calm things down there. And all it did was, was in, it, it, you know, in, invite panic stations. And it was a poor foul from Twanzebe, a poor decision from Maguire. And there's, there's just no one there who can say, right, just calm it down we've got this game once settle down and, and no one did settle down it was like hearts were going at 100 beats per minute and it was just you know they did completely lost their heads and they threw away a game that they played well enough to win comfortably and that must just be incredibly frustrating for them yeah i feel bad for you ty because last week i had my my one of my pieces done at half time we united <laughs> already it was on luke shaw he got subbed at half time anyway so that was done and dusted it was only one thing to worry about but samuel in terms of the it's easy to say what went wrong in the defence, really. Uh, we, we spoke a couple of weeks ago on the podcast, and Ty mentioned it, that maybe last season United used to have these spells where they just collapsed in games. And, you know, they, they, the majority of the season have responded well to maybe conceding a shot goal or, or letting their head slip. They usually do shore things up. But it was, you know, seven minutes in the second half, they've gone from 2-0 up to all. Uh, for you, what, what did go wrong for United? Do you think it was just the defence or do you think there were maybe wider issues in the squad as well that, that went unnoticed? So it's a very good question. I mean, interestingly, I had an email this morning from a supporter who said he'd supported United since 1956. And the subject of it was something like end the agenda against De Gea uh, because he was of the opinion that it's the worst pairing of centre-backs he's seen at United in, what, over 60 years, which sounds quite extreme when you consider that there's there's a relegation to take in and there's a 26-year spell of going without a title. But that's ultimately I've always been one of the reasons why I've never outright said Manchester United are title challengers is because I don't believe they've got a central defensive partnership that is good enough to lead them to a title win and this is a freakish season and maybe this is the kind of season where you could have got away with it or you could get away with it I think City are now looking so ominous that that's probably not going to be the case but you also need a dependable goalkeeper and unfortunately for the best part of two years David De Gea has not been dependable I think De Gea's his his poor form you can actually trace it back to where it started to go wrong for Solskjaer um, as a United manager to to Paris when they won 3-1 um, 
after Rashford scored in that game, I think De Gea looked very, very iffy coming for a cross where he punched when he should have caught it. Then later that weekend, he let in that Granite Xhaka goal go past him, and that just seemed to spark a glut of errors from him. Unfortunately, on Saturday, the first goal, we were right in line with it. If he doesn't touch it, it's not going anywhere near an Everton player. It's just one of those he's got to make a judgment call on it. Unfortunately for him, not only does he actually go for the ball, he parries it right into the path to call him, who, who's, who's got a tap in. The third goal, Gary Neville said it, you, you want your goalkeeper to eat a striker. And unfortunately, we've seen that from De Gea, De Gea before. He's far too timid in those situations. He was far too timid in Leipzig. Neville is speaking from experience of playing in front of Peter Schmeichel all those years. And one of the moments from Schmeichel that stands out for me is was at Newcastle in that game in the 95-96 season where they won one nil at James's Park and they got absolutely battered in the first half and Schmeichel kept them in it. The third man was played through in one uh, chance and Schmeichel came out quickly and not only did he smother the ball, he sent Ferdinand absolutely flying. A, a catapult probably wouldn't have sent Ferdinand any further. He just absolutely ensured he took the ball, he took the man. Not many goalkeepers do that these days. OK, that's a generational thing. That's the way goalkeeping has, has changed. It shouldn't really do in that sense. But unfortunately, De Gea has never been that kind of goalkeeper. Um, and as I've said before, that, that equanimity kept him at the peak for four years. And his, his peak was an absolute Everest. The standard of his goalkeeping was phenomenal and he was up there on his own. But unfortunately, the last two years for him have been a pretty slippery slope and he's not been world-class for an awfully long time. He's not improved enough this season to merit the amount of playing time that he's had in the Premier League. When you think about it, Dean Henderson has had only two league starts, I think it is. And what I would say in De Gea's defence, though, is that when you look at their... I mean, the, the amount of goals they've conceded from set pieces is is absolutely extraordinary. I mean, to, to a footballer, conceding a goal from a set piece is as much in the front as, you know, her authority has been challenged to Jackie Weaver, who's obviously the famous parish councillor who led that viral meeting last week. And when it's happening that often, it's not just down on the goalkeeper. And I've noticed that whenever United have a set piece or a corner to defend, the goalkeeping coach Richard Hart is always comes out in the technical area, and what he shouts is something that you've heard on the Sunday League uh, at a Sunday League game that you've heard at a school game. It's it's probably not it's that unmemorable that it's probably not even worth mentioning. And clearly, if he's been held accountable or he's choreographing the defensive shape for corners or free kicks, it's not working. And they need to change that. They can't have him overseeing that all the time. There's there's clearly a structural issue there. And Henderson's been in goal for goals United have conceded from corners and set pieces as well this season in, in his in his nine starts. So there is a there's a fundamental issue just from the, the tactical setup. And and Ty called it right. I mean, when Two and ZB came on, I thought that's just inviting pressure on. And then unfortunately for Solskjaer and United, Two and ZB was the one who conceded the free kick. If, if he was absolutely adamant on making a defensive change, it should have been Matic. He's an older head, he's wiser, he's, unfortunately, he's not had his confidence drained by racist trolls either. And it's, it's just a more, it's a more secure option in that, in that moment. But again, as, as Ty said, the, the fact that in the same minute that United had a free kick just outside the area, that Everton actually also scored, it's, that, that's a failing on De Gea. He's, he's, <laughs> punt up the pitch was far too central and 
scrutiny on him is is deserved. He he, sh- he shouldn't be playing as many games as he's, as he has been playing this season. Yeah, there's also maybe some arguments to suggest that you've got Matic and McTominay, two people who you know if you really had to for three four minutes, you, you could put them at centre back, just limit them and make them very uh, robust and maybe not offer much mobility at all. But you know they would serve a, a purpose for a very minimal sort of role in the squad. Uh, maybe it's done De Gea a favour that Allison gave the goalkeeper's union a good tribute to De Gea last night at Anfield tie. But uh, in terms of going forward, United do have a short-term fix because they've got Dean Henderson. And you've written in the past as well uh, that maybe not only is he better playing with his feet, but he's more vocal as well. Two things that really could bring sort of short-term solutions to the United defence by not only altering the style of play a bit, but maybe better organisational skills, which was supposedly undoing it against Everton at the weekend. Um, so for you, is it a no-brainer now? Henson has to get a run in the team and we've been maybe waiting for De Gea to have a thinker for, for that option to, to come but he's not really had one this season but now there's no option other than to put Henson in shortly. Yeah, I mean, you've got to give him a run of games because otherwise you're just going to lose him in the summer. I mean, Dean Dean Henderson is, as we all know, incredibly ambitious and I just cannot see any scenario where he sits on the Manchester United bench for a second season in a row, especially if he sits on the bench this season and sees De Gea making mistakes and doesn't get a run of games. He's going to be 24 this year. He wants to be England's number one. He's not going to be England's number one if he's sitting on the bench for Manchester United. And unless they play him, they are going to lose him. And it's just... You know, it, it's bizarre that he's not had a run and he, he needs to be given a chance. He might not be good enough, who knows? But he, he, you need to give him the opportunity. And I can't see that it's going to be significantly worse than De Gea to make it, you know, to make it a terrible move. So, you know, it feels like it, it's now or never really for, for playing him. It was always going to be a stretch too far, I think, to keep both goalkeepers long term at the club unless De Gea accepts a number two role. But then you've got someone on, you know, massive money accepting a number two role. So I think realistically, one of them is going to have to go. Really, I mean, even if you don't play De Gea, uh, Henderson and sell him this summer, it only pumps the De Gea situation down the road. And at some point in the next three or four years, he's going to need replacing. And if you don't replace him with someone you've developed in the club, you're going to need to spend £50 million plus on a goalkeeper. So it, it makes sporting and financial sense, really, to, to give Henderson a go. And, you know, the, the, the positives for him are, are overwhelming, really, in the terms of De Gea's mistakes. I mean, his mistakes haven't been as prevalent this season. Season, but they are still there and there are other issues such as being good with his feet and also like Cedric that that command of his penalty area and that leadership and he just he, he looks nervous under set pieces he doesn't he doesn't command his penalty area in the way you'd expect of a goalkeeper and you know what, what the reader emailed Samuel talking about the centre-backs I think there's an argument to say the centre-backs might improve under a goalkeeper that they have more <clears> faith in you wonder if you know we're criticising Maguire for dropping deep on that free kick but the point of holding a high line is that you either catch players offside or to allow your goalkeeper room to come and get the ball but we know that De Gea isn't going to come and get the ball really if Everton dropped that ball you know six seven eight yards out we don't really expect De Gea to come for it because he doesn't tend to come and, and collect balls so you know Maguire shouldn't have dropped deep but you wonder if he's doing it because subconsciously he knows his goalkeeper's not going to come and if one Everton player beats the offside trap then they're in a world of trouble so you know I, I think the the evidence is is overwhelming now that Henderson needs a run of games and if he you know if he doesn't get a run of Premier League games this year and United lose him, having not given him a chance when De Gea has continued to make mistakes, then, you know, you wonder if they're going to regret it next year and further down the line when they're having to spend millions and millions of pounds to sign a goalkeeper who is good enough. Yeah, it's unacceptable. You can see why fans are so frustrated and hopefully maybe there's a, a chance for Henson to prove himself against West Ham. We'll come on to that team news later in the podcast. But Samuel talking about fixes in goal, there's possible fixes in defence as well. I think United have missed Eric Bailly, but as you've written in so many pieces as well, not only is he injured prone, he's a bit erratic. You can't rely on Eric Bailly long term. And as you've written this morning as well, Samuel, United are still looking to, to buy a new centre-back this summer as well. Yes, I think much to 
on on that much depends on what happens between now and the end of the season with the pandemic it's very very difficult for them to justify a big money uh, a big money signing in defense and a big money signing in attack there's an acceptance there that Marshall that situation with the number nine that in time they are probably going to need a just a specialist long-term option there uh, hence the interest in in Erling Haaland last season with Haaland obviously he's he's a player that will generate an awful lot of competition does the Raiola factor do United take the principal principal stance of just cutting ties with Raiola but that said when they were pursuing Haaland that that was that that was happening after Raiola had come out and said that he was trying to engineer a transfer for Paul Pogba so it's almost as if there's an element of give and take there and okay that that might be a way of of sweetening Pogba's exit if if he if he goes and United can somehow facilitate a move for Haaland that that's one one incentive to to get it done this summer but at the moment, United are the top scorers in the Premier League and they have the worst defensive record in the Premier League top 10. I think the priority, as it stands, has to be a new centre-back. With Maguire, it's almost moot even to just like talk about his role because Solskjaer is just not going to drop him. He's the captain. They spent £80 million on him. I think he's still the most expensive defender in, in football history. He's he played in literally every Premier League game since he joined the club. He's not missed a single league game. He's played in all but two games this season. He's only been rested in one match outright, and that was at Brighton, I think, in the Carabao Cup back in September. So that's how much Solskjaer values him. He's clearly better alongside Bay than Lindelof because bay has got the pace to cover. He feels a bit more liberated, I think, Maguire in the way he plays alongside uh, Bay whereas Lindelof is not as quick a player and Lindelof's form really since Maguire came to the club has has not been good. But when you look at Maguire's position at the weekend, it just reinforces what I felt all along, which is that he is not and never will be a world-class centre-back. And that is a big problem when you've spent £80 million on that player. And it's why, again, ahead of another summer window, we're talking about United's need to sign another centre-back. This will be probably fifth, fifth summer running where there's fifth or is it fifth or sixth in fact that there's been a, a central defensive topic uh, transfer related with United because they signed by in 2016 signed Lindelof the next year there was obviously the fraught 2018 summer where they didn't get one and they absolutely needed one then they got Maguire they were never ever going to sign a sense back in the last summer window but there were legitimate calls for them to go for one but it, it just wasn't going to happen but very quickly it became apparent that they were going to need one sooner rather than later and of course they absolutely do need to sign one in the next summer window who that player is it, it, it remains to be seen I, I i agree with ty that they do need to look at the more experienced route rather than looking at someone who is between this preferred age age range of 23 to 28 who's got a bit of experience rafael varan as you know, dubious uh, six months or so that he's had for real madrid ticks every box he's won everything he's been world class for Upwards of five years, you would say. He's won the World Cup. He's played Real Madrid. Um, United wanted him in 2011 when he was at Lons, and then Zinedine Zidane intervened, and United ended up with Phil Jones. I mean, what a sliding doors moment that was. And he's still only 28. He's into the last 18 months of his Real Madrid contract. That is something worth exploring. Uh, a little bit like Ramos in 2015. You know, it's it's worth at least testing the waters there. I suspect in the, what will happen is that Madrid will offer. Varane, a very enticing contract that is too good to 
reject and he ends up playing the majority, if not the rest of his career at Real Madrid. But he's certainly someone that United really like, have liked for a number of years. Ed Woodward said that if, if he was available for £100 million in 2018, United would have gone for him. The trouble at the time was that Varane was worth far more than £100 million in that summer. It's, it's, it's obviously changed a lot since then, but I think my gut instinct would be that he probably ends up just signing a new contract at Real Madrid. Uh, producer Ash messaged during uh, our time on air and suggested Diego Godin, who was a player United triggered his release clause on deadline day in 2018, but there was never any chance of him going to Manchester. Culturally, I just don't see... I see that as a complete non-starter, really. Yeah, I think he was the type of defender that would have suited Mourinho, but he didn't want to move to Manchester then. I think the days where he was very much one of the best centre-backs in the world are well and truly over. I'm not too sure that's that, that would be a advisable move, but it, it is a problem for United because... I mean, you rightly said that when Bailly has played recently, he's played very well. The trouble is he's injured again. He's missed more games. And looking at it, uh, remarkably, he's been at United for nearly five years. He's still not broken three figures for appearances. He's played 96 times out of a possible 269 games. He's into the last 18 months of his contract. And however well he's been playing recently, there's arguably a more compelling case to sell him in the summer rather than offering him a new contract. Because all you're doing... Ultimately, given his injury record, is if you're often in four more years at United, you're likely to be in the cycle that he plays well, he gets injured, he's missing for ages. He plays well, he gives you a bit of hope, he gets injured again, and that's been by in a in a nutshell, really, really at United. So I would say, regardless of what happens between now and the end of the season, they just need to get a major centre back in. Uh, Upa Meccano is is one that's been talked about um, because they they missed out on him when he was a teenager, but. It seems like Bayern Munich have already registered interest. And if United really are pinning their hopes on the Pimecano, they have to hope that he's not one of these Germany-based players who, if they're not at Bayern Munich, their 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 main goal is to get to Bayern Munich. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see how it all rolls out. And Ty, have you got any other names to add in there that you uh, want to see? Or? Not, no, not off my head. You've rather thrown that one at me with uh, without much time <laughs> to research. So, uh, That's what no, I like to not, do. Not off the top of my head. But, I mean, in an ideal world, you can almost see a scenario where they'd sign, I mean, obviously they can't afford this, but almost sign two two centre-backs and allow Bailly and Jones maybe to leave it. And they sign someone who is maybe a long-term partner for Maguire and someone with experience who, who can provide competition. But, I mean, they're already in a scenario probably still where they've got too many centre-backs. Solskjaer would probably want to leave room in his squad, A, for Twanzibi, although he, you know, Twanzibi is 23 and, and needs to... He needs to be making progress relatively quickly, I would say. Since he came back from that Villa loan, it, it stalled a bit yeah. for him at United. He looks in need of another loan, doesn't he, really? Maybe one with someone like yeah. Villa again. For I mean, just to get up to Premier League speed. Possibly. You're kind of reaching the point, if he's going on loan at 23-24, when is he going to make it at United? And if he's not, yeah, is he good enough to be back up? Yeah. Uh, and also Ted Mengi, who is very young at the moment, but if he's going to play every week in the Championship at 18, it, it shows what a, what what potential he has. Um, and he certainly has the physical gifts to be someone who would fit well alongside Maguire. But I think realistically, that is two or three years down the line. So, I mean, maybe that opens it up for, for an experienced defender. And they could do, this isn't going to happen because it, he wouldn't, probably wouldn't come as backup and would probably cost too much to come as backup. But for someone on the bench, someone on the bench, someone like Johnny Evans would be ideal, an experienced head that knows how to defend and can come on and just do the basics right and shout at people to be in the right positions. And it feels that that's what United are missing at the moment when things go against them when they're under, when they're under pressure. There's no one, there's no one, there's enough people shouting, but 
deliberately not shouting the right things and just not, you know, they're not organised when it, when the when the game is on the line in, in the final minutes. And too often this season, the game has been on the line in the final minutes. Yes, yeah, I think there's one. a sim- I think Ty's kind of like gone along the right lines in terms of a profile that is certainly attainable. In the, I remember doing a piece I think in the summer about if essentially it got to a point where we had to address United's interest in defender saying. They're not going to sign one, but if they were to, it would be one of these profile players. And Evans was one of those players. I think he signed a contract at Leicester, but one who is absolutely going to be leaving in the summer is Tarkovsky at Burnley. Now, I don't necessarily think he's the right profile of player to go next to Maguire, but if you were to ha- if you were to sign an additional centre-back with the major centre-back, someone like him would be suitable. But I, I don't really see that happening. No, good. Like I said, I think that's something that you might definitely need to look into, isn't it? But whether it happens is a completely different story and uh, one that we'll keep you updated with on the Manchester News as it, as it does unfold anyway. But uh, looking ahead to the game against West Ham in midweek, FA Cup on Tuesday night. What can we expect, really? Sammy, we've already hit it, but Dean Henson should be starting. What other changes would you make to the United lineup? Would you go wholesale or would you just make it two or three from the weekend? Certainly not wholesale. They've, they've got a chance to get into another quarterfinal they they can't be picky when it comes to trophies especially with City playing as as ominously as as they are at the moment in the Premier League it looks like that that possible one shot at the title that this season was shaping up to be for United is is starting to look quite um quite unlikely now so yeah I I think that he's he's got to go quite strong with with his team um I mean Fernandes didn't start against Liverpool so you wonder whether he'll He'll sit out against West Ham or at least be on the bench. But as I said, they can't be picky. It looks like Pogba won't be fit. I think when you suffer a muscle injury like he did on Saturday, was it playing him three days later? I mean, even if he has made miraculous recovery, the risk is too great, really, especially since it looks like it's going to be a minus four, I think, Old Trafford on Tuesday night. So it's not it's not the weather for any um, any brittle muscles or loose muscles to be uh, playing in whatsoever. Unfortunately for Donny van der Beek, it looks like it's one of those games that even though it wouldn't be a surprise if he did start, I wouldn't necessarily say it's advisable. And it was, of course, I think it was at West Ham where his downward spiral began, where he started. I think it was the last time he started in the Premier League, actually, which was over two months ago. And he was taken off at half time. United went on to win the game without him. So, yeah, I think it's a, it's a difficult one to actually predict Solskjaer's team. Uh, producer Ash asked me for my predicted 11 and I had to take a while to try and you know, think long and hard about what it would be because I, I just don't have I said to you the other week for the Arsenal game I think I, I got that right it's pretty obvious what his team was going to be there I don't think it's obvious in the slightest what his team is going to be against West Ham no, of course not. Ty usually maybe goes and changes a couple who didn't start the weekend in the forward line as well. So Marshall didn't start against Everton. You'd probably say he, he's in line for a start. Does he go Shaw or Tellers at left back? Centre-half depends if Bailly's back or not. Henderson and goal. But yeah, that midfield selection is going to be an interesting one, particularly if, if Pogba you know, can't be deemed a, a risk. But we, as Samuel said, we saw back in December that not starting Bruno Fernandes, it's only inevitable he's going to come on and save the game anyway. Yeah, quite possibly. I mean, the fact Fernandez didn't start against Liverpool in the last round would suggest that maybe, I mean, this should be an easier assignment than Liverpool at home in the last round. I well, maybe that's debatable at the moment, but it would it would maybe suggest that Van der Beek, 
we'll get a game. I mean, he's he's basically a, a pointless sub at the moment in the Premier League, isn't he? he? He hardly ever comes on. I mean, United have nine subs, but a lot of them they hardly ever use. So it, it feels like he probably needs needs the game and a chance to try and rest Fernandez. But, you know, it, it's going to be a tough game and worse than we're having a great season. Obviously, they're going to they're have Suchek available. He's won his appeal, unsurprisingly. So, you know, they're probably going to have a strong team out. They will see this as a great opportunity to win some silverware. So you probably do have to play it a strong team. You wonder defensively, I mean, Lindelof has been managed very carefully since mid-December and hadn't started back-to-back games until next week. Now he started three in a week. You, you wonder if he can do a fourth in 10 days, if he's still managing this back complaints. And, and if not, will, will Solskjaer have faith to start Twanzibi? So it, it does feel like it's a difficult team to predict. It's it's probably a tougher game than the game on Sunday, really. If you're going to make changes, perhaps you make changes for, or, or you split them up and make some on, you know, you almost play Shaw against West Ham and then maybe play Tellers against West Brom, who have looked pretty abject under Allardyce. You know, the West Ham game has the feeling of being a much tougher game than, than West Brom away. So maybe you split your changes over the two games. But, you know, I, I think you're right about Martial. I think it makes sense to, to bring him back in. I wouldn't be surprised to see Van der Beek start again, but it is a, a difficult one to, to predict in terms of starting lineup. Yeah, of course, Dave Moyes will be eager to get one over his, his former employers. Who he, he had a slight dig up today saying that Solskjaer's success was largely because he's actually been given time to to succeed there, but uh, I'll be a nice narrative heading into Tuesday night. So finally, Samuel Ty, I'll start with you, Samuel. What is your prediction loosely for the match? Uh, <laughs> it does, of course, go to extra time penalties if there's uh, no yeah, that, that, that was just what I was, that was just what I was thinking. When, when you might get a bit colder than into, minus four. Yeah, yeah it'll, yeah. it'll get to, to Astana levels of, of coldness uh, if it goes to extra time, which I really wouldn't be surprised by whatsoever. I, I'll go for a United win after extra time, but I, I need to get in this habit now of maybe doing the team sheet prediction when it looks a bit looks a bit iffy, which it certainly did, again, as I said, in that Cup semi-final uh, last season yeah. when, when the team dropped. Yeah, we'll come to yours before kick-off. It's a live blog from <laughs> on Tuesday night. Uh, Ty, your prediction, you're going to be braver? No, I was I was going to say um, before Samuel went, actually, that I was I was thinking penalties and minus six by full-time. So um, maybe go with that again. I mean, really, United should probably win. West Ham's, West Ham's record against the top six is is I think fairly poor this season and you know Moyes is one of the most defeatist managers out there when it comes to playing big teams he he talked his team out of a win against Liverpool last weekend when they were there for the taking and it wouldn't be a surprise if he, he talked them out of a win again this week and you know that that should give United belief that they've approached the game confidently and aggressively they, they can probably get it done in in normal time but you know just as just as, as punishment for ourselves really I'm going to think it goes to penalties and by full time we won't be able to feel our hands or feet. Yeah, nothing would surprise you, but it's good to get the pessimism in early this week, isn't it? And really uh, set the standards <laughs> there. Where we'll, be, we'll be back later in the week to see how it all unfolds. So, Old Trafford will be looking ahead to that game this week, West Brom at the weekend as well. So, Samuel, Ty, thank you very much for joining us today on the Manchester United podcast. Thank you, Rich. Thank you. And thank you once again for listening at home or wherever you might be. And as always, please do leave a like and subscribe if you haven't already. And we'll see you again next time.